we just thank you for that. We pray now for the service as we look to your word and look forward with just hope and expectation, uh, Lord God, through this Christmas season, Lord God, that you will meet us here and be near, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So concerning the coming of Jesus uh, today, that's the subject we're going to be looking at. And, uh, but I start with a question, and I'm going to end with this question, just so you know. You know where we're going the whole time. But what does Christmas mean to you? All right, we're going to be confronted with that today in a good way and uh, coming back around to that at the end. But we're gathered today just one week before Christmas Eve. You heard in the announcements, right? But we're next Sunday, day and evening, we will celebrate the advent of the Christ child. Uh, Advent is just, uh, I got this from American Heritage Dictionary. There's different, uh, little different things, but I really like this because of all the points it hit on. Uh, The word Advent is a noun, and it's the coming or arrival of something or someone that is important or worthy of note. I think that fits our season for sure. It's also the liturgical period preceding Christmas and observed by many Christians as a season of prayer, fasting, and penitence. Another very good <laughs> uh, description of the season, especially right as we're you know, looking at someone who beholds and accepts and understands and receives salvation that the Christ child brings. And then uh, B is just the coming of Jesus at the incarnation. <laughs> and then uh, finally, the return of Jesus as judge for the last judgment, talking about the second advent or the second coming of Christ. So we began our three-week journey here last week with the following outline to help us focus on this advent or coming of Jesus, right, and, and bringing us closer and closer, actually continually throughout it, right, but the true meaning of Christmas. Week one was last week where we were presented with the need for Jesus with Pastor Reggie, where he covered the fall and depravity of mankind, right, laying out our great need for Jesus. And then week two, where we are today, us together, Right, the coming of Jesus, right, concerning the prophetic promise of the coming Messiah in Scripture. And then week three, next week, again, Christmas Eve day, right, the birth of Jesus. Pastor Carl will present to us from the Gospels for certain, but we're going to be celebrating the reality of God with us, Emmanuel. And so for me, it's been like pulling on the ribbon of a gift box. I don't know if anyone's ever done that, right, uh, around the house, uh, young or old, right? You know, and, uh, but that, that gift, that, that, that ribbon sort of represents the despair of the hopelessness and helplessness of humanity. All right, I'm really spiritualizing this, aren't I? <laughs> but, you know, because it's about, we don't know what's in there. We don't know what's in there, but we just see what's on the outside, right, that despair and, and just the hopeless uh, state of humanity. But today we're going to give that uh, ribbon a little tug, right? And we're going to peek between the seams of the wrapping paper. No one's ever done that before, right? Maybe shake it a little bit, right? But, and it's going to reveal hope. It's going to reveal the hope that's grounded in the promise of a coming deliverer, right? This whole idea of coming or advent. And then we're looking ahead, of course, to next week with the unboxing of this gift received. Again, already, we looked at him as Emmanuel, God with us, right? Which brings real hope and unspeakable joy, which the season should be all about. And I'd say in this instance, I dare say that it's indeed better to receive than to give, 
I know it's counter to maybe what you want to teach your children, but hear me out, right? But it is a gift, right? That once received can be shared over and over and again and again without any loss to yourself. Isn't that great? Right? It does cost you some, don't get me wrong, but it's something you can just give out over and over again and again, but you still get to retain the full benefit of that gift. So there's no gift like it, right? especially in this gift-given season. So my goal today is, as always, right, primarily to remain faithful to the Scriptures, of course, uh, kind of try to stay in my lane a little bit, you know, uh, the privilege is Pastor Carl's next week to talk, unbox that gift, right? Talk about the birth of Jesus. But we, we, we can't totally stay away from that because that's what the whole season is, is already about. And so, but I'll try my best to, to stay in my lane uh, as it might be, all right? And then secondary, though, is the desire to create in us this childlike anticipation this Advent Christmas season, right? Again, with that expressed hope and unspeakable joy as its goal, so for today, I want to actually begin sort of by reminding us all where Pastor Reggie ended last week, right? Urging us to find our peace with God in whose image we are created to enjoy. Actually, Pastor Reggie kind of started with that and ended with that uh, last week. Uh, very well done. And so now concerning, though, the coming of Jesus, today we'll look at the words of the prophet Isaiah as presented in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 7. So if you want to have your uh, eyes on your Bibles there, we're going to be looking at that together this morning, just those first seven verses. And some of them are going to be very, very familiar to you, and different things are going to come to mind, and uh, we'll see how we all do as we look at this, uh, hopefully in that fresh way again, right, as we're just taking a peek uh, into the promise of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, actually, the name Isaiah means Lord is Savior, so that was, first of all, the prophet's name, so I think that's good. And also the book or the prophecy, right, the letter is really a prophecy written, given by God to Isaiah, uh, is sometimes referred to as the fifth gospel. I read that somewhere. It's not my invention, but and rightly so. There's so much in there all through, peppered through. So I just, I chose seven verses today. I chose one, you know, passage. There's many supporting uh, uh, passages for this concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, many of them in Isaiah. Isaiah is often quoted in the Gospels by Jesus, by others, by other writers, and so uh, sometimes referred to again as the fifth Gospel, a Gospel literally meaning good news. And so I think that's all very appropriate. So maybe that'll help us just a little bit as we look at this together. But with our eyes on our Bibles together, let's just read together here. It says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given." And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Wow. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. For that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Lord, we do, we pray, Lord God, for uh, these words, these words of the prophet Isaiah, Lord God, that they may just truly ring true for us, Lord God, because the days certainly are dark. (laughs) But Lord God, again, uh, my desire is the same, Lord God, to to bring us, uh, show us that hope uh, that is for sure uh, in these words, uh, Lord God, for not only your nation Israel (laughs) in that day, uh, but for us in this day and in our land and for your people. So we just thank you for that promise, Lord, that you'll do that. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here we witness the land and people experiencing gloom and distress, and having the promise of special honor to come. It's almost, okay, in this deepest, darkest time, Israel is given the promise right here. Our context comes from the close of chapter 8, actually. You can look there, but we're not going to be there too long. Isaiah's chapter 7 and 8, they prophesy a warning to God's people of a severe judgment that's going to be brought about by the hands of the Assyrians, and this by uh, as a judgment of God. It's very clear. Look back together at chapter 8 and verse 19. Just back just a couple verses where it says, When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? So it tells you what Israel was doing. Israel, they were consulting the dead and mediums and spirits. And the question is asked by this prophet, shouldn't you consult your God? Isn't that whom you should be going to? All right. And I think you can see the parallels perhaps in our society today. Should not we be getting back to that, right? Forgetting the living God in this word. Actually, it, it was worse than forgetting. They were rather ignoring and willfully dismissing the reality of God alone has provided the answer for mankind in his word. Pastor Reggie had a great exhortation last week towards that for us, right? To be in his word, to know his word, to be in it daily and look into that and that alone for any counsel uh, or, you know, solving of any ills that we might have is in the words of God. Verse 20 of chapter 8 says, Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. With his word, there is no sight. There's no light of dawn, right? No hope. Ultimately, their neglect of God amidst their desperate situation led them to curse their king and their God, right? Apart from God and God alone, there'd be no relief from the distress, darkness, gloom, and oppression. There is no hope for anything except the promise of continued suffering, right? So be (laughs) the, the state, the reality of the world, much of what we see. Yeah, right? But then it says, verse 22, all right, then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Well, I'm depressed, right? <laughs> but verse 9, 1, right? Maybe you can see where I'm going. Nevertheless, some of your translations might say, but, very, very good translation. Nevertheless, or but, 
right? The neverthelesses or the buts in Scripture usually come as a point of such of much needed and very welcomed relief. It is here that God inserts himself at just the right time and at just the right place just the right manner, usually found some awful predicament of injustice or trial thrust upon us, or even consequences of our own sin, right? Determining that despair and darkness to hope. Verse 9-1 again, right? Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. There's the promise. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nation's by the way, the sea beyond the Jordan. See, the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, they refer to the northern regions of Galilee and Israel, of, in which the invading nations would have first come against Israel over and over and again and again. Because of the way the geography, and not a big lesson on that today, but with the, with the sea and the mountains on either side, it was the north <laughs> that Israel was often oppressed by his enemies. So in this land of Zebulun and Naphtali, representing that northern region, that was the point of attack just constantly, right? And so you can draw some, think of, uh, physically think of Lebanon and Syria today on your maps. And we can also, but don't stop and just don't think, dismiss the spiritual consequences for us as well of the way that the enemy would come in. Right, But though ravaged by the Assyrians, right, being humbled by God, one day they will have a special blessing. Right, A great light is coming, Christ Jesus, the Messiah. Matthew 4, 12 through 14 talks about Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And this was right after Jesus uh, uh, was tempted in the desert by, <laughs> by Satan himself right, for 40 days and come out <laughs> victorious. Right In verse 12 of Matthew 4, it says, When he heard that John had been arrested, he talked about John the Baptist, this is Jesus, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. See, it happened. It happened as the prophet Isaiah foretold. Right Back to chapter 9-1. Right? This is what he talked about. This is the, the verse that was given there. In uh, Matthew, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So it happened, <laughs> just as foretold. Throughout scriptures, right, darkness and light are often presented as a picture of oppression and deliverance. Darkness and light, right, despair and, and hope. Jesus Christ, again, the Messiah, is that great light. Micah 5, 2, a familiar Christmas verse, right? It talks about where this, how will this happen? How is this going to come into this world? What are we, we're looking to the Messiah, right? We're looking for deliverance, but how is this to come to be? And Micah 5, 2, it just says, Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Who could this be? Someone that's coming in the name of God, right, from antiquity, from, from ancient times, from the beginning, right? And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna see that again, peeking through that wrapping, the seams of the wrapping here today. See, God has come down as the light of dawn to deliver us from the power of sin and death, right? Christ's first advent, or his first coming, brought his light into the Galilee, right, with his birth and earthly ministry, no doubt, Right? But the verses 3 and 5 describe this joy 
being grounded in the Messiah's deliverance and victory. Verse 3 says this, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. So sort of two pictures there. We're talking about what kind of joy is going to be experienced there. Now, this is going to be at his second coming as king. Jesus will bring joy to this increased nation. And actually, we're a part of that increased nation even yet today, (laughs) as the word has come even to the Gentiles right? And put an end to oppression and war, right? There's a lot in in prophecy and scripture. I don't want to get too, if I I think I can say this without going way deep into it, right? There's sort of a near and a far, you know, fulfillment of of, of prophecy many times. There's there's partial and complete, right? There's kind of the here and now uh, in a picture given, so to, to paint the the obvious picture in people's minds before, but then also painting a picture of a future hope, right? A future fulfillment of those things. And so you kind of have this thing, right? Because right, we, we don't have an end to oppression of war yet, but the die has been cast, right? It's been given. And it's just as sure as that promise came to Israel, it's going to come to all mankind here. See, because the you referenced here is God. He himself has done this, right? Therefore, the people rejoice before him, you know, right, the, even the phrase, you have, and they rejoice, right? In the present tense, this speaks of the for sure certain it will happen prophecy. It's written like it, right? Like it's in the past tense because and it hadn't happened yet, but it is happening. See, the joy of the people is compared to the joy experienced at the time of a great harvest, right? After the work is done and a farmer or farmhands <laughs> bring in the, the fruit of their labor and fill their baskets and and you know, disperse the blessing and all those things. All that rejoicing is the same thing. That's a picture, just a picture of what the, uh, this joy is going to uh, bring about, right? And it's also when soldiers bring back plunder from war, right? This joy and peace will ultimately, and again, fully be realized at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And verse four tells us in this prophecy, right? For as in the day of Midian's defeat... You have scattered the, shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bars across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Now, this is uh, referring back to the story in Judges with the judge Gideon, right? Gideon's mighty 300. <laughs> mighty 300. It's not like a joke, right? God whittled this army down from uh, tens of thousands down to 300, and uh, they did go fight a battle. Gideon did sort of win the day, and in one sense, get credit for it. But it was really, if you read that story, it's where the Assyrians basically turned their swords upon one another and beat themselves, right? Only God, only God. So he's saying that, look, for as, just like in the day of Midian's defeat, you, this is God, right? This isn't saying, hey, you, Israel, you, Isaiah, this, no. This is Isaiah, the prophet, talking to God. You, God, have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. See, he, God, will shatter or crush the oppressive yoke of his enemy. <laughs> but as he did in that day, he'll do it again, right? And, and the, end, the new enemy is what? Just the darkness of the age, that, you know, to, to put it into a nutshell. Just as he defeated Midian miraculously with Gideon's 300, God's going to win this battle Right, the ultimate victory of God will be like that, as in the day of Midian's defeat. 
Again, the new enemy is actually the original enemy encountered by Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan himself, sowing doubt, sowing lies, right? Preaching <laughs> what was not truth like it was truth. Pastor Reggie covered that very, very well last week. But I'll just remind us right back in Genesis 3.15, the promise was made even then against this original enemy. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Again, that's just a simple picture of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, especially at his second coming where he's going to crush the head of Satan. Satan strikes his heel. That's the cross, right? He dies on that cross. He goes into the grave, but he rises again. And he's biding his time and he's coming back, right? And he's going to crush the head of the serpent, all the way back from Genesis chapter 3. And we're looking at that cracked open even a little bit more here in Isaiah. Verse 5 says this, right? Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. See, these implements of war now, here's the picture, right? They're destined for burning. It means the battle is over and done. It's complete and final. There's no more need for these things right? The enemy now being thoroughly conquered and demilitarized. And not only that, you're going to be able to cast your weapons aside because we're not going to need them. The war will cease. There's going to be no need for these implements of war. Now, right, we can say, again, part of that partial, you know, and, but, you know near but not yet type fulfillment of prophecy, we're not there yet. We, we, we see that, right? We see the, uh, the darkness of the age still yet, but it's going to happen, Again, just as sure as it happened with uh, the defeat of Midian uh, by Gideon, right? And as, uh, Jesus, as he prophesied it in Genesis chapter 3, it's going to happen. Isaiah 2.4 says this, He will dis- settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation. They will never again train for war. What a day, huh? You, you, we long for that, I, I hope. Right? But now we come to a curious place indeed, <laughs> as Isaiah tells us how this will come to be. Because <laughs> this is quite a feat. Again, God will do this. He'll increase the nation. He's going to bring complete victory. He's going to bring joy even amidst this distress and darkness. Right? How can it be? Well, here it is. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. (laughs) We can just read that as a familiar verse, right, in a chorus to a song or whatever, but really? Just take yourself back from everything you think you kind of know or understand about this, like you're reading it for the first time. You're reading through this great deliverance that's coming about, and all of a sudden, here it is. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. <laughs> Come on, let's be amazed a little bit this Christmas time, yeah? That's amazing. That's incredible. See, the joys described in verses 1 through 5, right, they're grounded in the hope of this child. The first advent, the first coming, right, is described here in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. A child. 
how much more vulnerable can you get than that? Oh, wait a minute. Who, who put up a picture of Myrna's grandchild? Is there more? Come on. You know, like she needs everything done for her. But yet she sleeps, right? I'm, this isn't rehearsed at all, but uh, and yeah, just a little hey, a little shout out from Myrna and Todd's grandchild. <laughs> and uh, oh, those are the hands of some. Yeah, okay, look how sweet. They need everything, don't they? I mean, how, oh, this is just wrong. Who? <laughs> Is wrong. How many more? Oh, there's one. That's Kelly's grandchild too, by the way. And mine. Introducing her to some artifacts from my my bookshelf. And uh, I think that's it, right? Is that all? Can, we don't have to bear any more of that there. But okay, I, I had a little fun there. All right, and uh, joy actually. I'll, I'll, I'll confess, as our first grandchild. And, but uh, it really is, when you're holding a baby, you can't think of, there's nothing more vulnerable. Puppies are weaned in a few weeks and set on their way, right? You know what I mean? I mean, a child, everything. If you don't do everything for them for like a long time, frankly, long time, all right? <laughs> you know, they eventually are weaned. You know, they feed themselves and clean up after themselves, but... You know, there's still a lot of care and that goes into raising a child, yes? So we get the point there, all right? In so many ways, a child, yes, right? Yeah, but yet no ordinary child. Prophesied 700 plus years before the birth of Jesus. Isaiah 7.14 said this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will receive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Again, God with us. See, a son is given. Jesus is the second person in the Trinity, eternally existent forever without beginning or end. Yet it also expressed as a child is born, as the humanity of Jesus had a beginning, a humble beginning as a child. Right? So we kind of have two vantage points. Vantage point earth, <laughs> a child is born. A child is born, born in the flesh, being humbled in his humanity in order to die. Vantage point heaven, right? A son is given, a son is sent, a gift is sent. A son is given, sent by God the Father to save, being glorified in his divinity by raising, rising from the dead. See, the earthly and heavenly ministry of Jesus Christ is this in a nutshell, becoming fully man to stand in as a suitable substitute to take on the just punishment from the sin of mankind. Right? Yet being eternally God, imputing his righteousness upon sinful man uh, through his all-sufficient once and for all sacrifice on the cross. Right? Again, refer back to the first Adam and the second Adam that Reggie preached about last week in our dilemma. Right? This is glorious good news indeed. Right, But there's more in verse 6. It says this, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Oh, we long for that. <laughs> Not yet, <laughs> but to be points to Jesus' reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, coming to full fruition with his second advent or his second coming, right? 
four quick facts concerning this divine governance. It's going to be pervasive. It's going to be all over. It's going to be reaching east and west, north and south, throughout the universe even, right? Right? So four facts concerning this divine grace. It's going to be pervasive, all-encompassing. All it's going to be forever. It's going to have no end. It didn't have a beginning, actually. Jesus is God, right? And again, it's established by God and it's being sustained by God. So we can just know those things about this governance that's going to take place. See, the second half of verse 6 describes the glories, Christ, the glories of Christ Jesus by ascribing to him the following titles. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You think of Handel's Messiah, right? Want me to sing it? No. Very wise. Whoever said no. Wise man, but wonderful counselor. Wonderful. So many, how, you know, you know I, I read this somewhere. I, I can't give attribution because I, I don't know where I read it, but it's extraordinary to the point of being miraculous. That's what wonderful is, right? This is referenced in the words, deeds, and actions all in all ways and in all ways from eternity past and forevermore, right? He's wonderful. John Calvin said this. I think it's very helpful. Christ is called wonderful because he has inconceivable methods of assisting us and because his power is far beyond that which we're able to conceive. Wonderful, right? Everything Jesus says or does is wonderful. What a great comfort it is to marry this term wonderful with the title of counselor, right? Wonderful counselor. Jesus being the Logos, the very word made flesh, Right? This is counter to any earthly wisdom and the vain philosophies of man right? that have its disastrous effects upon us all. Right? And we're, also, we're oft, often victims of our own counsel, to be honest. <laughs> that's a lot of our ills is our, you know, taking counsel from someone that's not godly or, God forbid, our own counsel and our own flesh and strength. But then he's also called mighty God. He is the God of all creation and glory. You know, how is it that Jesus is mighty God? Well, a very short list might look like this, right? Jesus trusted his father, God, to enter this world as an infant child and survive King Herod's devilish schemes. Jesus confronted the devil, Satan himself, in the wilderness as a young man and resisted the greatest temptation to shortcut the way of the suffering servant to become a conquering king. He didn't take the shortcut. And also, Jesus healed the blind, deaf, mute, and lame. He, he, sent, the, he sent that message to you know, uh, John the Baptist in prison. Tell him when he, when he just had a, a hint of a doubt, is this the Messiah? Is he the one that he, you know, that he foretold about? And uh, he was the forerunner of, actually. And Jesus said, go, go tell him. Go tell John that the lame walk, the deaf hear, <laughs> and the blind see. But then also, uh, you know, another short, on the short list, Jesus raised the, uh, the dead to life. Right? Jesus showed love to outcasts, untouchables, the unlovable. If that's not mighty God-like, I don't know what is. <laughs> and perhaps the greatest mighty God feat of all, right? Jesus defeating the power of sin and death at the cross, demonstrating the greatest and last measure of devotion, right? To lay down one's life for a friend. That selfless love and sacrifice to redeem undeserving, sinful mankind. John 6, 38 and 40 says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to the will of him who sent me. 
This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. More of the promise. Those words of Jesus are a perfect segue into the next name. We could camp on that, I know, but right, we're, good. we're just <laughs> we're moving here. Everlasting Father, Jesus himself being the author of eternity, John 1, verses 2 and 3. Uh, he, had, he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that was created. Jesus was present at creation, and, and, and it says, let us make man, way back in Genesis time, right? And we can confidently ascribe everlasting father-like attributes to Jesus without confusing his, his eternal position in the Holy Spirit as the Son, okay? As he has indeed reconciled many sons and daughters to the Godhead himself. Okay, we don't have to worry about confusing, oh, you know, only, oh, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Listen, they're one, Jesus is God. <laughs> the triune Godhead is, is a mystery, no doubt. But Jesus, Jesus Christ has many sons and daughters that he's brought into the kingdom. So we can understand him to be everlasting Father. Again, the very author of eternity, See, Jesus understood his position perfectly, <laughs> so we don't have to fret about it. Jesus understood. He said this in John 10, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And later again in John 14, he says this, I will not leave you as orphans. Right? I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will see me no longer, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Right? Jesus, again, mighty God, everlasting Father. And then we come to Prince of Peace. So much, again, could be said. We, again, we, we could do eight, you know, four weeks of, of, on each one of these titles, I, I truly believe, right? But Jesus is bringing the peace of God. Philippians 4, 7, just one uh, verse. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's many others. But Jesus is making peace with God. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jesus' promises of ultimate eternal peace, John 14, uh, 27. This was as Jesus was telling his disciples that he was soon going away. They didn't totally understand this, but Jesus is coming to the day of his crucifixion, and he's going to be going away. He's going to, of course, rise and ascend to the Father, and he's telling them this. And this is right after he talks about, uh, or it's right at the time where he's talking about, you know, building, you know, preparing a place for them uh, in heaven. But Jesus said this in John 14, Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. That's the promise of Jesus, again, bringing eternal peace. Okay, verse 7, back to our passage, right? And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Wow. Again, so we have this child. We have these titles and names ascribed to this child and telling us the character of our Messiah here, our, our, our Jesus, our Savior, right? 
And then it says, of the greatness of his government, peace, there will be no end. Again, we think of the, uh, the hallelujah chorus from the Messiah. Want me to sing it? Okay. I won't. Listen, maybe the next service will ask. I don't know. All right. This, no, no, don't, no, don't. Please. The child, uh, yeah, the, the pastor doth protest too much, doesn't he? Right? Uh, the child will have a forever reign characterized by peace. There will be no more war under this righteous reign. We talked about some of that promise earlier, right? But this fulfills a direct prophecy concerning David's, King David's throne from 2 Samuel 7.11 said this, The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the direct fulfillment of that prophecy. Or 2 Samuel 7, 16, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne may be established forever. See, one day this reign will be imposed upon the whole world, indeed, in the, at the advent of his second coming and the ushering in of the, the thousand-year reign and the, and the new heaven and new earth, uh, absolutely. But at present, it's a reality only for those who receive Jesus as Savior and submit to him as Lord. And the final passage here, uh, the second half of verse 7, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That, that's our confidence. That's what we have confidence in. The, the Lord is going to accomplish this. Just as he did right in the day of the defeat in the day of Midian, uh, just as he promised to bring them, you know, out of their distress and darkness and, and, and a light of a new dawn, right? The Lord's zeal almighty, the Lord almighty will accomplish this. The Lord's jealous care for his people will perform this. You can count on it. So we come back around full circle where we started. So what does Christmas, you know, mean to you? Right, to the prophet Isaiah, it meant hope. The hope grounded in a child is born, a son is given. The shine is a light into the darkness. And the fact is, right, Jesus can be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace for each of us today if we will only receive his gift of salvation. So will you receive him into your life today? Will you take the promise of this gift? A child is born, a son is given, a gift from heaven. There's just a, a few things we need to know about ourselves in order to do this. And actually, the worship team can come back up. This is to close it's not telegraphed enough. You know, first of all, we just have to admit that you're a sinner, that you're, you're not perfect, <laughs> is all that means, right? It's not casting stones. I'm a sinner, <laughs> right? Saved by grace. Through faith, that's, that's it. That's the only way, right, to admit that you're a sinner, that you need something outside of yourself to be redeemed. And second is to believe that Jesus is God, as we presented, as the prophet Isaiah presented. And he came to save you from your sins. Believe that. Believe upon his name, all that we just learned of who he is. And then to confess our sins to Jesus. Just admit that to him and repent. 
right? Choose, make a, a woeful decision to, <laughs> to turn away from our former way, but not on our own accord, but with his help and by his grace and his mercy, uh, his Holy Spirit coming into our life. So if you want to do that, and then to submit, your, just submit yourself to him as Lord and Savior, that's, that's what repent basically means. You're not going to do that alone. So that's basically it, to admit you're a sinner, to believe upon Jesus and all that he has promised us, and then to confess that to him. I'm going to be here up here at the front at the close. It would be my privilege, great privilege, to, to pray with you. Uh, if you haven't done that you're, yourself and you, you know that, uh, you've, you've come with someone perhaps, uh, feel free to pray with them, bring them forward. But again, it would be my great privilege to do that. I'll be up here through the worship set and after. And actually, I'm going to uh, stand in some kind of faith here. If uh, any elders, leaders, or pastors uh, are here uh, today and you see more than one person up here, then uh, you come up too, please, or anybody to your left or right. Uh, can, can do that as well. We'd love for you to know what Christmas, <laughs> to experience the full joy and reason for this Christmas season together to its full. Amen? Amen. Amen.